Hi everyone. If you like what you've been hearing, please consider subscribing to the Patreon at patreon.com backslash Hegelbon. That's H-E-G-E-L-B-O-N. The Patreon's really the lifeblood of the podcast. It lets me dedicate the time that I need to play the games, to talk to our guests, to really set everything up and, and make everything as sharp as it is. Um, without it, uh, no cartridge really wouldn't exist the way it does today. If you don't like monthly pledges, I totally get it. Uh, there's also paypal.me backslash Hagelbon, and we can try and figure something out there. Or you can email me at nocartridgeaudio at gmail.com. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, and I will try and answer your emails as quickly as I can. Thanks so much for your support, and enjoy the show. Audio. My name is Trevor Strong, Hagelbond on Twitter, and I have with me a friend of mine from online, uh, who I've been friends with her, I think, for quite a while now, uh, longer longer than the podcast, or at least as long as the podcast, uh, Michelle Perez. You know her from Michelle Perez, uh, or I'm sorry, is it like, oh, I just had your ad up and then I psyched myself out. And Perez writes IRL on Twitter. I knew Michelle Perez writes IRL was too much. And Perez writes IRL is exactly what it should yeah. be. Uh, so that's her, that's her at, and uh, you might also know her from uh, The Pervert, uh, her comic, and all sorts of other comic work and art and video game writing. Uh, you were on, you had something out on uh, Waypoint recently, right? Was no, no, that was not me. I had uh, Dialcina asked if a few photos of mine could be featured in a uh, take on photo modes and games. That must and, have been what I was thinking of. Yeah, it was. Uh, it focused on Nintendo uh, stuff, like s- some of the Super Mario Odyssey picks, and I think one is lifted from Breath of the Wild. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, yeah. Okay. That must have been what I was thinking of. Um, then, great. I've, um, I've worked on. I've worked at medium difficulty. Uh, I did. Two pieces for five out of ten. Uh, what sucks about a lot of the freelancing situations right now is like <laughs> your portfolio basically gets destroyed when these uh, smaller places that try to uplift voices and eventually do. Uh, some motherfuckers basically end up drowning in the ocean and all of that stuff, unless it's archived, uh, right. is hard to dig up. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Like the uh, the way that the way that the um, like the way that all that works now, especially because there's like uh, like a whole plurality of smaller places that are okay with paying writers. Like you can get paid for it, but you know your your work kind of vanishes into the ether if you're not too too careful, um, and you like aren't. And, and, you know, your name isn't easily Googleable or whatever. And, and don't burn your bridges with your former editors because those people, those people's emails that you have may be your only tie to, like, 
verifying this is work you've done. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. if I ever if I ever burned bridges with uh, Carl Parakennings, like any archival shit of my stuff on medium difficulty would just be erased. I think I could barely find old drafts of the stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh... The internet's weird that way. It, it it really is like, you know, people talk a lot about the the kind of like specter of the internet, uh, you know, like not being around or some sort of like massive collapse, not environmental, although that's of course a plausible thing too, but, um, but just like a massive collapse of information wherein like we would lose it all. Right. And, and that's not even, funny to think- that's not even taking into account tangible shit like data rot. Mm-hmm. At some point, right, yeah. Facebook, Google, Twitter, all of these places are going to have to reckon with that. Yep, yep. And, it, you know, it's just like, it's it's funny to think, it's funny slash scary to think about that, but then you also sort of think like, well, so much has already been lost. Like, all the things, you know, if you were if you were alive in like the, the 90s internet, and you're thinking, like, I've thought many times about my Angel Fire site, and it's like, well, that's gone. Or, <laughs> or if you think is. of like, let's say... Uh, physical film and how mm-hmm. arch, arch, archival work, I want to say, uh, yeah, sometimes yeah. can get kind of in this weird legal gray area. And then it's like there's whole films that will never be viewed again. And that's it's like 80s Absolutely. and 90s stuff. Even it's wild. It's yeah, it's super wild. And I mean, like, that's even before you get into stuff like video games where it's like you you have to have the right system too. So these archival spaces that try are like, they're doing their best to produce archives wherein there are the games and then like attached with the game, some example of what would play the games. And it's just, it's just wild. Like to think about the ways that you would have to have so much available to, to actually keep like, it's also the, it's uh, also the, it's also the dark side of, uh, the long form future of tech because we see it right now two two uh massive conglomerates are basically jamming their dicks into the same door and <laughs> we're going to invest in streaming because you know this is the perfect way to like i guess destroy the idea of owning anything Instead, it's right. it's like, I guess, you're you're paying into it, and it it feels, it feels, for people pe- for people who always talk about capitalism, not having breadlines, it's like we're basically subscribing to a tier based breadline system where someone's curation and focus you know, who could just be this completely robot, dead-eyed fucking square is deciding what is and isn't permissible in culture. Especially Apple. Apple, people should be afraid of that uh, because they are the gatekeepers of what is and isn't permissible now. Tumblr nuked all pornography to appease the Apple gods, and the Apple gods were fucking... We were still like we find you wanting, and now Tumblr's you know probably going to die in the very near future. It's fucking amazing. 
Yeah, it's really strange. Like it's it's just it's I don't know, like the 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 nature of and like I feel like a lot of people have been talking about this recently or at least maybe it's just got confirmation bias on my part because I've talked to a lot of people about it recently. But just like the nature of streaming and and not owning and kind of like renting your games in a way is just it's wild. Like it, it's just this it's a wild feeling. Um and it's scary in a lot of ways. It feels like the Wild West, um, but not in like a fun way. Um, <laughs> not not in the not in the uh, not in like the the Deadwood uh, new season way, but more in the we're all just going to get taken it, for well, a way. Personally, I always try to err towards the side of hope, even if it comes out to a bad end. I think a lot of people have said Smart. Apple's original programming for their streaming service is like a more boring NBC. Uh, and whenever people get into large format changing, medium changing wars, they always think they have their watershed moment and then it fills us off into fucking nothing. Look at VR. Uh, there's no, yeah. there's no killer VR app there are varying levels of popularity assigned to novelty. The only thing I've ever seen that is close to a killer app is like, what, like the two or three year year old uh, super hot VR? Like, that's it. Yeah, super hot VR was basically the the last thing to even... um, That was basically the last thing to actually come close to an app that was just everyone agreed yeah you had to play yeah it's like it's, um it it's strange that you know a port of something is is the is the gold standard and there's not then there's not an original <laughs> yeah. thing that they can work off of like it's it's more like how can we truncate the experience and it when when you when you rely solely on novelty which, don't get me wrong, could be amazing. And I think VR has some potential, but I think it would almost be greater potential and an almost medicinal or sort of holistic helping sense. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, there's like the a lot of the VR that I've actually really enjoyed has been um, VR that is like, um, how do I say this, like the... The VR that's uh, explanatory mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, a game, um, which is so weird because, I mean, like, why would you ever want something that was just explanatory and not a game? But, like, it does feel to me that it's, like, I, I just sometimes want the – I sometimes want that, like, gloss. Like, I sometimes want a fun idea as opposed to, like, someone's idea of a game and like that seems therapeutic where it's like I can exist in a world I can kind of do a thing in a world and it's fun and it's a little different and that's basically what what I'm looking at um, it, it seems it seems like the possibility is there I mean you know imagine imagine something where you are watching this incredibly tense filmic uh, scene and the idea of the omniscient, you know, I watching everything, an omniscient storytelling when you're literally God staring in the room and they aren't aware of your presence. Like, 
the thing I a thing I said uh, on Twitter a, a week or so ago is that I think the principal part of VR that they fuck up on is that Horny wasn't at the forefront <laughs> for these people. If you think of voyeurism and the idea of being of waving your arms around and being in a different space and not naturally think of what could be associated with that just beyond, you know, sexual titillation, but also just you, you are there. They don't know, uh, you know, it would end a, it would, it would have a, it would have a different, it would, it would color the textures of their decision-making so much, so much better. Instead, we got Palmer, lucky fucking, I don't know, using this or that game we fucking played already to sort of be parlayed into dark money to fucking help help people better run a concentration camp. I think <laughs> I think I think you absolutely have to attend some sort of humanities course if you are allowed to own a tech company that will right. at some point or another be in charge of killing somebody. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's the nicest way I can state that. I mean, it uh, seems true. Uh, oh I guess Lord. like the, I just, I wonder, I guess I wonder, uh, I don't know. I don't know if like, I, I really wonder this or not, but I do kind of think a lot about how, that like that quality of compassion or even just like, even just like compassion is the wrong word. It's more like just being aware that there's something in this world that isn't just reducible to content. Um, like sometimes I wonder if, uh, if that is something that video games help or hurt us with, right? Like we're thinking about like, uh, you know, like, as you mentioned, like, you need to be able to take a humanities course before <laughs> before you're able to run a company that can kill people um, or has the plaza like a, it would plausibly kill someone um, like I because don't, every I don't company what... is becoming that now. Amazon yes, well, is true. becoming that company. Fucking Microsoft is has been that company uh, right now. There are senior Google people who have been there forever. that are leaving because. A fucking a heritage fund guy is basically what is it the Heritage Foundation? I'm sorry, but basically uh, a Heritage yeah. Foundation guy. It was given a prominent uh, position at Google at Google, where Google is now entering the same horrible capitulation to the government territory. Right. Yeah, and I, I like part of it, like part of me wonders, like what else do you need? And I mean, maybe this is the, uh, maybe this is the humanities major in me saying this, but like, you know, what else do you need to take a humanities course to be involved with? Like, is it important to take a humanities course in order to, uh, uh, play a video game? Like, should you, should you be able, should you have to like, so like we were talking about Assassin's Creed, like it's really easy to get from Assassin's Creed to like Deus Vault stuff. I think. Like, if you want to take that route. Well, uh, a lot of the series uh, 
it works it works around oh god it actually some of the the hard material stuff in the games is so ancient aliensy that you you could you could basically be on the money that it's going to appeal to a lot of those people i mean fucking for honor it has one of the fashiest fucking user bases i i play siege and siege is oh siege is oh my god i've talked about siege that's like yeah yeah like (laughs) ubisoft ubisoft had to address that it was it was like like how many steps from Rainbow Six Siege to Adam Waffen, are there really? Uh, it's it's fucked. <laughs> not, not enough. It's fucked, yeah, not <laughs> enough. And, I mean, that is that is one part of tech having an active hand in, in moderation and the like that's good. Uh, I think latter, latter games in the Assassin's Creed series are starting to have a reckoning about some of the bad conversations they've been having about mm. what uh, the assassins or the quote quote good guys of the series are for like or, or let me see like where the onus of responsibility in in that universe rests with them and and also the storytellers themselves of course I, I think I think uh, Assassin's Creed Three, for example, could uh, mm-hmm. could be a, a big punch in the stomach to a very specific uh, group of people in our nation, the indigenous people. Uh, and they they try they try I think in earnest to address some of that stuff, but there's also many competing visions uh, in making anything. And mm-hmm, sure. a great deal of nuance can be lost in a hyper large and consistent production. So, I mean, what who who has the onus there? I mean, is it on the developers or is it on the player at that point? Because, like, on some level, you're right. Like, you can't possibly imagine that. Uh, I mean, let's even say yeah. proceed, right? Like you can't possibly imagine that Ubisoft actually has uh, consistent like editorial control over siege. I mean, they, they just simply don't. Um, but on some level, then it comes down to the player being able to make some sort of determination. Um, you know, you can say like Ubisoft includes these ops, right. But you know, whether or not you want to imagine that they're trying to be woke by including like ops of color or women ops or whatever, um, or whether or not they just don't feel like acknowledging the kind of br- police brutality that they're oh, encouraging, oh, uh, the militarism oh, they're encouraging. Two, two of the uh, two of the operators are Bope, uh, that that Brazilian hyper militaristic police. Oh unit, yeah, uh, recently well, recently the, notable yeah, the... for being uh, directed by Jar Bolsonaro's. Uh, I'm not going to say allegedly because uh, fuck him. Uh, Jair Bolsonaro's oh, mother apparently uh, directed directed Bope to kill Mario Franco, and it's it's like it. Yeah, and you get to play as them in the game. Yeah, and they have yeah, yeah. It's it's like it's it's extremely messed up in terms of characters that 
they're probably some of the milder. Oh no, actually the one, the the one the, oh, yeah. the one, 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 one of them is Kavera is is a is a a mentally ill uh, person. I think they have BPD, and it's basically a hyper uh, accentuated sort of media sociopath versus you know a realistic sociopath. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's strange. Like the Cav is Cav's a very weird character. Like people will play as her, and uh, I mean, though I've seen people do a very good job. But the the tricky part with her is that uh, you know your, your special attack is uh, running up on someone is, and yeah, uh, forced interrogation. Yeah, which is uh, grim, <laughs> like horrible. Um, but like, I mean, that's. That's the game. But, like, I guess, like, part of what I was going to say was it's not as if, like, you can you can say, oh, well, you know, Ubisoft uh, is definitely meaning to do this. Or Ubisoft has, like, this outcome in mind. Like, Ubisoft is 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 absolutely bound by the bound by the, the form of the game that they've taken at this point. Like, you need operators. You've made a game that's about operators versus and I mean, operators. that's that's one of one of um, the one of the cop outs is that. Within the context of this, this is the closest you'll get to Tom Clancy fantasy because this is Rainbow Six on Rainbow Six violence. This isn't you are fighting a bunch of (laughs) faceless uh, cannon father that is from a Middle Eastern country or a uh, Eastern European uh, rebel, what have you, probably a communist since it's Tom Clancy. Uh, Certainly, yeah. And... I think that's that's like one of their their ins that you you can you could sort of think of it more in Overwatch terms, but yeah, in terms of uh, what we associate with these military groups that are very real, and then what is fantasy, and yeah, like the the, the torture. It's not even just saying, well, this is problematic. It's like, well, if you associate yourself with the quote unquote clinical language of Milsim, then uh, it seems like adherence to to legal requirements in Milsim shit like ARMA and rules of engagement and stuff. Yeah. The, the, the real Milsim freaks know that having a bunch of fucking arbitrary. <laughs> Uh, rules is the best way to experience something, and also really rigid RP on a <laughs> Milsim Mil RP server. Those guys get fucking angry about that. Yeah, no, seriously. I I, I just learned about them the other day, and and uh, that is that is a that is a subculture I'm not going to be uh, bothering. You have to exercise um, good trigger discipline. <laughs> like uh, they're they're all about that shit. But like so like. I, I mean, this this kind of goes to my point, which is that like, uh, or or the point I was trying to make, which is like the, you know, Ubisoft or or whatever company, right? Like, especially a AAA company, is you know they have they have so many conflicting goals, and and I mean one of the biggest conflicting goals is they want to make a massive profit, um, mm-hmm. and in order to make a massive profit, they need to make their violent video game like other violent video games, and so they're kind of they're a little bit bound at least by tradition or by expectation. Um, and, you know, like on some level, 
you can you can you can make an argument. Oh, Ubisoft is is at least doing what they can within that that tradition. As you say, it's like Rainbow Six on Rainbow Six violence, and um, you have like a very wide group of ops. Like it's not just a bunch of white male ops. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit like hire more female prison guards, but you know that's, <laughs> we, that's how it is. We need more female torturers. Make Abu Ghraib egalitarian. It's, <laughs> it's a fucking horror show. Right. But, like, however you understand that, like, if you understand it as progressive or understand it as, I think, correctly here, um, a horror show, like, like something that is just, like, truly terrifying um, mm-hmm. and, and, like, not at all something that you want to, like, stand behind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like... That is up to you. It has nothing to do with like how the game is made at a certain AAA level. Where like I'm, I'm, I'm all for artist the the intention of the artist. I just don't think there's any intention there. Like it's just it's a it's a cacophony. Uh, there was there there was this uh, game swipe thing where I forget the comedian, but Ch- Charlie Brooker's a uh, game swipe. It was a thing he did uh, before uh, Black Mirror. When he, was over, okay. when he was at the BBC, there was this interview where this guy was talking about basically um, the fact that Grand Theft Auto came off like Grand Theft Auto 4, which was very cinematic, but it came off like people writing about crime who had only experienced crime in filmic and television stuff like The Sopranos or, say, a uh, Godfather, etc. And I think... Sure. I think the inverse is with, is is on Ubisoft, where like they are super aware of the the realistic <laughs> portions of it, and I also wonder how much of it is a conversation with the Tom Clancy brand. Is it just milestones they have to hit for these people, or does it <laughs> does it have to be associ- associated with what they feel is times timely and newsworthy? Because the Tom Clancy universe is in a very fictionalized, but quote unquote realistic uh, take of Reagan and post Reagan America. Listen, the Tom Clancy cinematic universe is extremely, uh, extremely rigorous <laughs> and, and cannot be. Oh, God. John uh, Krasinski was going to be Captain America. Was he really? He had, he had, he had tried out for the part. He probably got, so, I think he got smashed by. Evans, but could you fucking I mean, imagine that? I mean, I like Jim facing I'm a, every I, fucking Marvel film. Oh, that's a, that's a nightmare, man. <laughs> like that's so crazy. I don't know. Like <laughs> I think Panther turns to dust. Pause for effect. Four <laughs> seconds of Jim face. Oh my god, <laughs> such a nightmare. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think it just it to me. Yeah, to me, it just doesn't seem like a thing I'd super care about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, ugh, man, ugh. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, just, just, just let, it, just let, it, let, let's. It's let marinating. It, let marinate. right now. Let's it's, do. It's really troubling. I hate it. I and I'm like, I'm not a big Marvel movie guy. Uh, anymore i probably i was when i was a kid uh, like i was really leslie leslie in the struggle then. session guys well no uh one it, it's just it's just leslie and jack now i think 
They they fucking yeah yeah. They yeah. fucking. Uh, I enjoy the Marvel movies on some level, like a comfort food level, but not like something I actively like super seek. But I I, I right. love how much they fucking hate it and how how Leslie will <laughs> will completely alone. Jon Snow horses running towards him will defend Batman versus Superman as a really good film. But yeah, uh, fucking, I love how they hate those movies. It's so good. Uh, I want to really hate is. them. I want to they... hate them the way they do. I want, I want to be free. God damn it. I want to be free. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, it's it it like the the movies are really I don't know they're they're extremely I don't know they're extremely cloying in in a way and they're also just like I don't know I think it excessively I think dull I think it's I guess I think is what I'd say it is one of the more interesting versions of the of the tail wagging the dog where they actually used comic formatting and and event style thinking for effect and i can appreciate it on that level but i also know <laughs> that that part of the superhero industry is the worst part of that industry and when people don't gravitate towards yeah, so that let... you make fucking amazing shit you make such good shit let's talk yes, about comics please yeah so like you are not as a creator you don't really focus on on i stuff you're getting exclusive information. Uh, I, and it's not, it's not an industry thing. It's just me rethinking some shit. Uh, I am not opposed to working on superhero shit now, but I would, it would have to be incredible specificity. I mean, I've been back and forth on this. Mm -hmm. There are a few people, there are a few characters I would sell portions of my soul and, you know, would be okay with it. Like Spider-Man would be cool. Punisher would be right. cool. Uh, the closer I get towards tangible industry stuff, the more I think if I did a superhero story, I it would have to be standalone or it would have to be such a specific thing that like I I feel like it would be distant from getting ruined, I guess. It would have to be something I believed in. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, no, that makes sense. And I guess, like, so my story about... about yeah, go for um, it. I mean, I don't really have a great story, but, like, I always wanted to write comics. And, like, when I was a kid, um, I really loved comics. I, I just I just wanted to, to be a comics person. And one of, the, one of the things that was really important to me was, as you say, like, was Spider-Man. Um... And uh, I think like the the thing about the thing about Spider Man is it is so difficult to <laughs> it is so difficult to get anything out of Spider Man without like I don't know I'm trying to think of the best way to say this it's very difficult to to have Spider Man to yourself basically like it's tough to imagine um, a world where you can write the Spider Man story you want to write. Um, like I always wanted to write the 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 like the last Spider-Man story, like uh, like the idea of him like just getting you know killed by the police or something like that. And like, what, what did he ever do to them? I, I thought mean, it's they a very were cool. Adolescent thing. 
<laughs> well, Shit. in my story, they're not. Um, but I mean, like, super, it's a super adolescent thing, right? Like, it's 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 clearly like a fourteen-year-old's idea of what a good story oh, would be. No, I with that some of that some of that uh, the idea of wanting to do better uh, can take you to places. Mm-hmm. And whenever you create anything and whenever you work on anything, there is this need to delineate between a willingness to do the work and delusion. Yeah. Sometimes you need sometimes you you need a little less of one than the other uh, to <laughs> to like actually make it work and then find your rhythm. Yeah. And when I you guess... find your rhythm, it becomes concrete and it, it takes you, you go out of the theoretical. But I guess like it's a, the, it's a wild experience. It sounds wild. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I guess like my 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 disillusionment with writing for comics was kind of twofold. One was I I like I met with people who wrote and and sort of were in comics. I met Scott Hanna, the the anchor. Um, he lives close to where I grew up, and, uh, mm-hmm. and I got invited to a party where he was at, and I, you know, it was at his place, and so I, I went down. He had his whole thing, you know. It was very, very, very crazy for me. Like, wow, this this dude like actually works on Marvel Comics. This is amazing. Um, <laughs> and DC Comics, this guy's like in everything. And I asked him, I was like, uh, I was like, so, um, you know, what's like? Give any tips for me to become like a, a comics author? And his his answer was just write something every single day. I was like, man, what a a terrible answer. <laughs> even, even as like a college student, I was like, that is nonsense. Like it's, you know, I, I understand where he's coming from, but it's just like a complete misunderstanding of like, you got into the field and now you don't understand that you, it was like unfair before you got in, right? Like there are unfair things going on. And the other thing was talking to a guy who said like, oh, you have to write two novels. And it made it clear that, okay, superhero comics are working towards a continuity that never actually changes the kind of like perfect serial and be uh towards movies like you're only ever going to be writing spec scripts basically my buddy carl uh he told me this and it stuck with me and i always think he's older than me but we're literally the same fucking age uh, <laughs> he he told me that like some level of instruction involves a little bit of bullshit and <laughs> some of the bullshit is 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 right every day right like right 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 and yeah. some of it is also uh learning when to walk away and do mm. your work in a way that isn't forced and yes. finding finding the rhythm where you do something regularity to such a point that you will have your your designated work time your designated no work time so that you know when you have that groove, that's when you're gonna put your shit out. I think, I think the write something every day thing is strategic bullshit in the sense that someone will do that, and then <laughs> they will realize that doing that constantly and forcing yourself to do something in rope function isn't nearly as effective as building out a workflow. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I, I guess like, you know, one of the things that I mean, don't get me wrong. Me- don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that might have applied to your shit. 
because sometimes people oh. just say that to be condescending. Like, yeah, write every he, day, and then uh, then uh, you will be Stephen King. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I guess like I guess the you're right though that like. So I guess part of what may have been true with me in comics is that I wasn't like as committed to the form as I thought I was. Um, and like it, it, I like, I like talking to creators like, like you, um, I had, I had a cover on the show a while back. Um, it was a pretty interesting talk. Uh, I forget like a, they, other comic authors like Casey Green and, and it's at all. Uh, I was, but I like, was listening to you and Alex Deegan a little earlier. Oh yeah, Deegan. Yeah, 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 that was a great Deegan's one. Great. I, I really I love like that guy. Deegan. Yeah, he's great. Um, I was I was regretful that uh, last time I was in New York, I wasn't able to to get a drink with him. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, like um, I like talking to comics creators uh, like you all because like it it shows me a kind of level of commitment that exists within um, like it's it's it's. Battle tested makes it sound like you know military garbage. Um, m- more like it's uh, it's not always the good times. Basically, like you guys produce stuff at a pace that isn't like again. Passion Project has these capitalistic problems with it. Uh, you guys produce stuff at at a place where it's like it's clear that you care about the form as opposed to simply uh, success within the form, uh, monetary success. Uh, I think. I think. I always want to be in the chase, you know, maybe monetary success shouldn't be my primary goal, but I want to be at a place where I can self-sustain doing it. It's hard. It's hard seeing that right now. And I am, I am nominated for like two big awards right now. And, uh, Oh, what are you doing? I know you have your eyes are nominated. Island 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 was nominated. So, Technically, Eisner nominated. Uh, Very so nice. you always get. Yeah, I was also working at, or had done articles for women write about comics, and they had also, you know, got nominated. So I was like, all right, everyone is getting slightly dusted with this, so I'm okay with it. Uh, hey. But right, rising well, tide well, uh, lifts all boats. I, I heard from my friend Ronald Reagan. That, exactly, my one of my biggest influences when you see my work there he is ronald reagan maggie thatcher and oh, ronald reagan god i'm i'm getting nauseous saying ronald reagan three times in a row he's gonna he's yeah, gonna, he's gonna show up pop up hey man nancy reagan fucking embalming fluid and all oh my god uh <sighs> but shit what was i saying in regard to in regard to struggle as it as it relates to people in comics uh like right now i am nominated for uh, la or los angeles times is uh you know their graphic novel portion of their festival of books and nice like i was going over the program for that shit and i'm thinking as soon as i get out of there like i'm going to a job fair you know what i mean uh i I have to try to think of a way to do something different from someone who is, has has a preponderance of resources and uh, brand association. Uh, yeah. So there's an installed base there. What does and does not succeed will, you know, be privy to what's going on in the zeitgeist. And even then, those people 
unless you're Brian Michael Bendis or, you know, one of these people that do exclusivity deals where uh, a lot of the exclusivity deals for publishers, like say a Marvel or whatever is healthcare uh, in very few instances, huh. but like it's there. And I think, I think, I think it's, wow. it's fucking, it's fucking wild. I, I would like, I would like to see some sort of push to unionize or at least get guidance from something like, uh, you know, our various writers guilds. Although right now the writers guilds even right now are going through some, uh, borderline Bane Capital shit. Uh, yeah, no, seriously. The uh, the fact that the the L.A. Times uh, ended in like it, it had a happy ending with some like billionaire buying it. It was just a better. Oh no, no, no. That's the L- you're thinking of the L.A. Weekly. Oh, I am thinking of the L.A. Weekly. Yeah, but like that whole thing where it's like it's good. We had a we had we had a, a, a much better uh, a much better uh, billionaire buy it. Um, not, not the one that we knew would just like gut the paper and sell it to the highest bidder. <laughs> like that is a grim, uh, ending right there. Oh, and that's, that's, uh, uh, no one wants to hear it, but it's, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. Uh, shit. You could just say that for, I don't know, the next, uh, I don't know, 1.5 years. And if we're being honest here. Probably an additional four from that point, unless, uh, <laughs> I don't know, societal attitudes and uh, people's discussions don't change. Uh, I, think- I mean, you know, it's, I think definitely, you know, we can, we can look forward to President Kamala Harris. Oh, oh my God. Even, even, <laughs> I think I know, the only good thing is that, the only good thing is that Joe Biden has been having a real shitty two weeks. Like that's oh, yeah. that's the only that's been the only fucking redeeming part of online. Michael oh. Michael Michael Tracy and Glenn Greenwald think they in, invented the fucking concept of skepticism. But you know what? At least Joe Biden is getting it, and by God, he deserves it. What a fucking dick! Ah, oh. yeah. What a what a lech. <laughs> Just awful. Uh, but yeah. Uh. I, I think, I think people are seeing the value of their own work after having gone through similar experiences like mine. And it's a good way of putting it. The value of your own work. Yeah, like like where they're unionizing at places, even if it it does, uh, even if they have really reactionary measures or really draconian measures levied against them, these people are part of a groundswell of a greater movement. And I think, I think. I wouldn't be surprised to see something similar in comics if it's been happening in video games because comics is going to have to have some sort of reckoning with this. Fox, Fox, Disney affects everyone now. No one, yep. people, people don't have the option of looking the other way. If if you if you create something and you make art, you stand behind. Uh, the the corridors for entry are becoming uh, much much slimmer i believe yeah i guess that's right i mean one of the things i think is kind of interesting about art especially art under uh, capitalism is like you know classically you have these uh these kind of restricted fields or or what uh what like board you calls restricted fields 
um, wherein you you get you get basically um, spaces where no one cares if the work is profitable, right? Like uh, modernist fiction is a good example of this. Like no one really cared if modernist fiction was profitable. The idea was, you know, we will we'll do our best to produce really interesting stuff, and the exact same audience is going to buy that stuff, and so like we will essentially have like a fake kind of sustained system here um, wherein like the same 100 people will bankroll all of these authors and will get the interesting work but uh you know the the open market will never see it and if they do it'll be much later than than now and um, it's always judged up not... for like prestige stuff and then right then yeah. it becomes the zeitgeist sometimes not every time yeah and i think like the the yeah exactly right and like i think the that doesn't really happen now or can't really happen now. It's like, it's a, it's a very different thing. Like the, the idea of, of like, uh, well, even like the idea of an audience that you could count on, (laughs) right? Like, like the idea of like, Oh, you know, I, uh, I know that my, I know that my audience, the one that I have just like, um, I, I know is in there and, and cares about my work. They will buy every single one of my comics or they will subscribe to my podcast every single, Every single week, uh, no matter what, like I will always get a hundred dollars from them or something. And I, I know this; they're as as like reliable as any employer could possibly be. Uh, more so, I don't think that's a thing anymore. Um, not that employers are any better, of course, but like I just don't think that's people, something that people people, can count people on. are people are, <laughs> and it's weird. People who would if you if you would ask them about socialism or any sort of communism via Marx, you know, seizing the means of production, you know, what, what the, what the fuck do you think, uh, producing four or five things under the umbrella of your expertise and then using that money to then gain different forms of expertise and experiment within, uh, you know, and a lot of these people are doing this passively and realizing that it's it's sort of there's this grim irony to the fact that if you are creative, the culture necessitates it now. Uh, and mm-hmm. yes, and those Absolutely. and those those are going to in turn become our our new norms, and then and then Patreon. Patreon 10 years from now will more closely resemble, say, a Netflix or a traditional TV network. And then, barring any sort of vast difference in how we consume visual media, uh, will be cycled versions of ways of consumption that are repackaged Mm -hmm. again and again for the, the added effect of novelty. I think... I think what's weird is that even being DIY will be owned and it is owned under capitalism. Oh yeah, for sure. It absolutely is. I mean, like one of the, I think one of the, the major things about, about DIY services is that like, it's, uh, I mean, it's, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. It's like, it's a, <laughs> it's, it, you're going to have to, th- you're, yeah, it's you're, you're going to have to think of, you're gonna to have to think of overhead. You're gonna to have to think of: uh, Am I going to be able to live in a place, eat food, 
maintain the physical energy needed to do the thing? Are my books going to be clear? Right. Do I got clear books and my taxes right? Uh, am I going to get if I if uh, if there's a message I I put out now, is there a chance of my views or these or that views being viewed? And and this isn't me engaging in apologia for like alt right shit, but I'm just saying if you put out a leftist I- I- image in America of any sort. You're gonna catch heat. You're gonna catch heat yeah, much gonna... faster than anyone else who's doing a broader center right sort of message. Oh, one hundred percent. And like, I, I think, like, you know, to, to your point, the, I don't know, like the, the whole thing about about punk is that like it always was a commodified thing. The DIY element. It was always to sell a brand, sell an image, and like. I don't know. You look at the Sex Pistols now, or at least of the ones that are still alive, and what Johnny Rotten. Well, no, and the thing is, like, it, it's it, not. It's, it is about it is about image and iconography, and that DIY and punk are maybe they are they are they share similar iconography, but I feel like the DIY ethos to me means uh, not. Being what the Sex Pistols are like, the the the, the Sex Pistols mm. are a boy band. They they had they had like a, a designer on hand for their looks and shit. It's it's everything <laughs> everything everything we see is a carefully curated image. And people who are DIY, they have to admit on some level there's a level of curation. But I think realness is relative to self awareness about you know a mm-hmm. cultivated image. Hmm. Yeah, that seems right. Um where do you like where do you where do you fall on so like you also game a lot, I I assume. Or at least a little. Uh oh oh I yeah I've I'm since I've been here I've thrown seventy fucking hours at Assassin's Creed Odyssey. How do you like it? That, <laughs> It has some of the worst padding in a game I've ever experienced. It's uh, the the DLC the DLC and time saver economy that is meant to be mostly ancillary is one of the grosser things mm-hmm. I've seen in the series. <laughs> and it's weird because the game's thesis isn't bad. It's like let's. Let's go. Let's go after fucking farm to table CD Projekt Red and their sort of realistic adult storytelling, but within the context of Assassin's Creed, there's potential. Yeah, uh, I mean, people in, love Odyssey. That. People, it seems to be the one that like really has revitalized people to the franchise. I I heard Origin was good, and that people loved what that did. Uh, Odyssey, I think, in many ways, was them trying to say, "Let's let's take the RPG thing to its logical outcome." And uh, some of some of the game's choice stuff isn't like one to one with it, but seems to reflect the more interesting parts of like New Vegas shit, where mm. you do this or you do that, and 
there is a definitive outcome like what family members are alive versus not and various tragedies that happen and then your character is incredibly horny <laughs> there's a lot of shit at play so i mean is 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 it is the the idea of a um thinking of the idea of a uh a consequence right um the idea of your choice actually mattering on some level or like uh the idea of your choice mattering in like a very real way um i mean is do you think that's just like a, a new fad or do you think there's something potentially interesting artistically there um I always think I think about choice a lot in video games because I think like there's one way of understanding choice that is, you know, just as a as a placeholder or like as a kind of like a dull thing that people put in just to just to have it in there. Um, But I think you can also argue that there's there's choice in these games because like they actually want you to care about their narrative. And I'm not sure there's anything like particularly special about caring about narrative, but maybe there is. I'm for for me when it comes if if narrative is part of the if if your game is is going to have a narrative where the narrative is prom is prominent where it is a cornerstone of your game where it's something like say an Undertale or whatever mm-hmm, where right. where your decision making is uh, almost the sort of focus of the piece uh, then then with Odyssey uh, you know it. They're they're more outcomes than major effects on how you see the world, how you feel about people, how you feel about what have you, and it it goes more for a straight sort of, I guess, tragedy slash, you know, melodrama. Okay. Uh, yeah. Whereas, it, I think it it's closer to like. When people try for prestige TV now, whereas if okay. you have, <laughs> yeah, whereas whereas now, whereas if you think of, I got done playing Delta Rune, and okay. I mean, have you played it? I have, and I have in my Switch. I'm, I'm, I want to try it. Is that soon, is, is that is that territory? I'm not gonna fuck with your viewership if I go into some spoilers. Oh yeah, just uh, they're. Just yeah, we'll, we'll we'll say there are some spoilers coming up. There are spoilers coming up. This is, I just did it. This is an announcement. Go for it. So, so the message of Deltarune to me is, sometimes you're gonna have no other option but to fight, uh, hmm. which, which I mean, That's different than Undertale. I mean, for Del Deltarune, it, it seems to be him embracing the sort of. Uh, narrative similarities but using it more as textures for exploring ideas and people i Mm -hmm. i want to do i would like to capture that in my work uh but i don't know if it seems like something you have to work towards and that seems like a fair thing to work towards where i characters and people could be interchanged Mm. and the key tenets of the character can be used to explore a different position while still giving us that distinct voice about what's happening, what's at play. And I think it's interesting that uh, Deltarune is trying to make the case that there is a, there is a value to turning the other cheek, but 
sometimes there are people that can't be reasoned with and it's not played up as a cheap thing. It, it, it seems like there, I don't, I don't know what will happen in subsequent chapters, but I feel like it's going to become a, excuse me. Uh, it feels like it's going to become a, a theme that you have to reckon with at some point. Mm. Cause it's the opposite of the like moment basically yeah right sure i mean though that yeah the toriel moment is you don't have to fight like that's literally the idea of the of toriel is like you know you don't want to you don't want to kill your mom right now <laughs> you actually don't have yeah to. <laughs> but the weird thing is like a, a good deal of uh people's experience and the discussion around the game was like wait you didn't have to kill her i could because it was yeah. easier to avoid fighting with each other subsequent person you had to go out of your way to figure this out, or you had to game fax it, uh, or whatever. <laughs> I was lucky. I, I like. I didn't. I didn't really go into Undertale with any uh, understanding of what the game was, and for whatever reason, I did. I like. I made it through the Toriel part without without killing her, and that was that was good. I was able to do my true pacifist ending. I didn't feel bad, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, that's also not really the point of Undertale, and maybe the reason why Toby Fox wanted the correction in Delta Rune, which is like, this isn't about you feeling good. Um, it's about something more. Than well, that. yeah. Uh, and it, it, I think it can, I think, I think it's, it's great that, uh, simpler narratives because at its core, when you think of creative limitation and the bounds within someone sets for themselves to tell a story, you know, at its core, uh, Undertale is, you know, about, you know, overcoming adversity without, you know, uh, whole cloth abandoning your principles, even when it's painful. Uh, and it's a very simple narrative thing, but it's weird that, you know, for a message just as simple, sometimes you're going to have to throw hands for Deltarune, uh, <laughs> There's so many ways in which you can have a, a complex meditation on, you know, the nature of that kind of decision making. I think I think it I think it's knowing what you're going for and knowing whether or not, you know, you put it in very stark melodramatic terms or you're trying to put out a very humanist message. That's interesting. I I wonder like so in your work, um like I know maybe just based on this conversation, but I also know because of your work um, that you, you work a lot, you work in forms of uh, embodiment, sexuality, things like that, um, which is super interesting. And of course of the moment, Um, but also I guess like, is there a moment in your work where you feel violence comes in? Like that idea of like it being a a somewhat simple or somewhat like important lesson that at, at some point or another, you might have to fight someone who can't be reasonable. Well, um, where does that show? Does that show? Uh, up in your work or is that I think there's one that... instance of, a. Uh, well, there, there's two instances, of, of violence. And like, I think some threats in the pervert, but, uh, that was that the, there's a scene where basically Felina, it was based on a real day I had had where, you know, some shit went down and I was, basically 
bleach white as a bone with this this very thick stubble going in to a subway to eat a sub with like a, a car that would later be declined until you know I got it working and found a different credit card. It was like an apocalyptic day, right. and then you know. I'll go more into the events of the comic, but it was a bad day. But uh, I think right. I think the the undercurrent is that the character, and I think that's why I think of myself more as genderqueer now, is uh, some of those ways in which I don't know patterns I've been within. Sometimes they've fallen within male or generally male coded parents of behavior versus what we think of as feminine coded behavior. And uh, there was a catharsis mm. in just basically going crazy on someone when you're already at a low point and that people have very definitive breaking points and people. Uh, do stuff almost out of a sense of terror and that no one person holds a monopoly on it. And then after, you know, you do something and you have moments to yourself about it where it's just you and God or whatever, it's just like you're miserable as this fuck that you don't, you can't fully contextualize everything that's happening to you. And you're just, you're just there. You're just going hmm. through it. And, you know, sometimes shit just gets out of you. You 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 are you need catharsis, and in these moments, you do awful shit. You you become smaller as a person, and it it doesn't have to be something as terrible as physical violence or sexual assault. You're just you have these moments where you're a fucking scumbag, and you know you are. And you know you did wrong, and you have to sit with it. I think, I think you can you can mm. retain your humanity and and meditate on these things and you try to explore them. And I think whenever I have violence in anything, it has to serve that purpose. It has to say, you know, you know, is this is this externalized violence for this reason or that reason? Is this a form of political violence? Is this is this someone who is rising up? Is this someone who is using revolutionary violence? You have to, you have to, you have to make those mm. distinctions. And so, I, I think my latter stuff after the pervert, a comic I still have to pick up with E Coffee, extinction level event. I was trying to think about the violence of the political, and how fucking malleable young people are now. And try to think that out, because mm -hmm. violence is violence feels amazing. It's it's awful saying that out loud, but it feels so good. My my father was a boxer, and you know a lot of that mentality mm -hmm. and machismo and shit will get into you, and it, it it's so easy to gravitate to. But you find that a lot of the reasons for enacting and engaging violence are so petty, so stupid, so inherently wrong. and so contrary to the human condition that, you know, I want to, 
I don't want to say I want to be responsible because, you know, you're never going to be 100% on anything. I think I have to, I have to think of why it's being used and it has to be, we have to have cause to do so. Hmm. I mean, does that, is that part of the reason that you gravitate away from, from superhero comics? I mean, there's like, there's a lot of violence in superhero comics that is... Uh, it's basically slapstick, I'll be honest. Yeah, oh, that's actually even better than what I was going to say. I was going to say it's set dressing, but, like, it is slapstick. Um, simply there just to kind of, like, create an emotion, either humor or, uh, uh, you know, pity or uh, interest or whatever. Um, it does Or serious else. and dramatic. Yeah, right, or, right, or, right. Or whatever. And, like, I, I think, like, I've, I've had moments where I've been reading superhero comics and I think to myself, like... It must really like what what must it be like to actually like be these people right now? I mean, like they're just covered with welts, they're being punched and kicked and like their ribs are broken. It's like it's not cinematic in the way that the comic is telling you that it's cinematic because, of course, like real violence is a lot less um, appealing. Um, oh, another another thing I will never do. I will never do violence or I or sex unless either are explicit because. I feel like to sometimes trivialize how tangible either are, mm-hmm. uh, the, the further you get away from saying something interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. What's the, is there like, is there a connection outside of just the fact that they, they are both kind of like ex- extremely, uh, personal and, and, and like, uh, well, well, well it's, not ju- it's, like, it's, it's not just the intimacy. It's it's mm. the fact that you know you're 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 going on about things in in a in a way where you're talking about real experiences and there's fantasy obviously but your fantasy has to go beyond baseline titillation uh, for for you to really bring something crazy to the table. So power uh, fantasy is not something that you find interesting in comics. I think I think. I think there's more interesting ideas when we think of like horror as it relates to violence cuz mm. the the and when people are small and petty being more interesting because it's reflective of actual experience so I was talking to to Leslie and the and Jack about this but basically there would have been a cooler moment in the game where uh, Isaac is constantly uh, at at odds or is at odds with this guy leading their ex their doomed exposition or pff, expedition on this ice planet, and you know the guy is constantly threatening violence against uh, Isaac, and Isaac is fawning for his former partner and. What would have been more interesting is a very real thing where Isaac would just kill the guy when she wasn't around or something like that. Something mm-hmm. human and something terrible that someone would actually do because of right. who they are and that they're not necessarily a good person. And it would make for a in- more interesting antihero versus, say, you know, the noblest of paths until fate somehow happens to make things work out for you. I guess like, you know, part of the part of, and we, we mentioned, we mentioned prestige TV before, but like, you know, it, it is sort of the prestige TV disease of like 
the the anti-hero being just like a, a fairly unfleshed out jerk like the idea that uh, Walter White is the perfect anti-hero is is something that I think basically gets you to the, a place where it's like well you know I uh, uh I think Felix Biderman is that biologic yeah I'm yeah, incredibly yeah. high uh so you're allowed to be incredibly high it's cool uh so he he was talking about like Walter White sort of inhabiting that Tony Montana space. Or not Tony Montana space. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Although that would be interesting. Uh Tony Soprano sort of space where where they're almost I was I was willing to hear you out of the Tony. That would be great but, too. And um, Vince Gilligan has said that a lot of it is they're more literal with Scarface in the latter seasons. But yeah, definitely. I think I think it's interesting to think of him as a comic figure while also realizing Walter White is a is a is a anti-hero to the to the viewer but like in clinical cold terms uh Gilligan says no he is a is a bad person and I I want you to be incredibly I want to be incredibly clear that he is a bad person we don't want to uh what is it glamorize who he is and of course the the raw appeal of of Brian Cranston as this guy means it's it's only natural it's going to be sensationalized and he 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 actually gets he got used in commercials as the Walter White yeah. character where it's like you know you talk about this this sort of <laughs> fucking uh, <laughs> casual responsibility but then it's like this guy's been in an insurance commercial come on like, 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 I don't even think Tony, I, I don't even think James Gandolfini has appeared as Tony Soprano in either a parody or a, a, I guess, promotional thing. With the exception of the yeah. PS2 game, <laughs> that fucking belly flop. Wow. Uh, that was really, that was rough. Um, yeah, no, I think you're, I mean, you're right. It's uh, definitely... Walter White is, yeah. Brian Cranston made him so interesting, and then leaned into it. I I, I only <laughs> want to say that I don't think it's bad that they made a charismatic bad person, because uh, some of the worst people on earth no, are I charismatic. But it's like, uh, it it kind of comes off as bullshit. It, uh, the older we get, and I guess the more life we experience. I've probably seen each episode four times. I I love the show, mm-hmm. but there there is no close reading of Breaking Bad where Walter White isn't a dude that's raped his wife, uh, has killed multiple people, uh, watched a woman drown in her own vomit, has was willing to kill children, yeah, and caused like the fucking crash into another airplane. Every every element of that show is just like. It, it should be it should be you giving up on that character, right? Like just like oh, I like I like him, I like him less, I like him less, I like him less, and like it. I guess like the the problem with it is of course like the way people understand it, uh, and that's not on Gilligan or or Cranston really. Um, but the the What's fact a that badass? it's like yeah yeah it becomes that as opposed mm-hmm. to like complexity, right? 
where like it, it's easier to read him as a badass instead of a complex sort of like like instead of basically looking at it and saying like why do I like this character what about this character appeals to me and like why is that kind of messed up well, I um, mean I mean people stay I, I like, in I, committed relationships with their domestic abusers and in many ways right that is that's the close reading of breaking bad is that this this is a man who put all his failings on every one else and many people that had nothing to do with him died you know to pay that price it's like it's like jesus mm. christ i mean but it makes an interesting character but uh there's a difference between that and the, you know, Tony Soprano's a badass. Tony Montana is so fucking cool. He owns a tiger. <laughs> I mean, that is cool. Uh, I mean, like, uh, well, no, I guess it's not cool, actually. Cause yeah, the, poor the tiger. tiger probably got uh, shot. But no, I mean, like the, yeah, right. Oh, geez. Uh, just like, just like the chimp in, uh, in uh, Jonestown. Oh, my God. Ended up, ended up dying. No, none of the other people there. Super just the sad. chimp. Jesus Christ. Gee. Just the. Yeah, none, the of the none of the people. innocent people. I just, That's I just care. Who are, who are totally <laughs> just like just wanted just wanted a nice world and thought Jim Jones would give it to man. them. An incredibly normal man. <laughs> Extremely normal. Um, I mean, like it goes back to that question of like responsibility, though. I think, like especially in terms of like you think about something like Breaking Bad, and you get even more than something like an Ubisoft game in some ways, because like. You know, an Ubisoft game or any video game, you, the player, are in some ways where the buck stops, which is to say, like, I can play a video game, and since I'm playing the video game and having the experience, I get to sort of say, you know, this game means this means X to me, um, and because, like, I beat it, 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 it absolutely can, and you can't take that away from me. Whereas with a TV show, like, there's that veneer of criticism that we all recognize, and it's like, well, here's what people say about Breaking Bad, and here's what I say about Breaking Bad, and there's acceptable readings and unacceptable readings. Like, I wonder, like, at the point of Breaking Bad, like, at the point of, okay, we're, we're talking about this, like, massively popular show that produced a bunch of, like, really blinkered readings that probably, on the whole, are more trouble than they're worth. Um, oh, the big one was Skylar's a Bitch. Right, exactly. Yes, there was a yes, yes, yes. there was a there was a dedicated Skylar's a bitch discourse for the first three or four, or no, f not the first three or four because it was only a five season show. For the first two seasons, the discussion was Skylar's a bitch, uh, and like no one thinks that permeates or colors any of the other readings. I mean, right. here's the thing about Skylar's a, the, a bitch: we can have antagonists be positive people in the show. And there's nothing but them. Hank, Marie, you know, Skyler, even Walter Jr. is a sort of antagonist to this fucking uh, weekend at Bernie's shit, where instead of a giant dead body, he's hauling around a <laughs> bag of meth in the shape of a person. Or everyone is just like, what you got in there, Walt? And he's carrying around a fucking potato sack full of meth. That's the whole show, for the most part. Uh, where, Primarily, yes. <laughs> I mean, the, the, worst, the worst readings only seem to deal with surface-level stuff and never about lying and, you know, external, external 
lying and then lying to yourself and then thinking you're above, you know, certain moral shit. Some of the best, some of the best readings I've heard recently were basically from black people where they were talking about, you know, having, having absolutely no love for Walt in any respect because he kind of exemplifies the sorts of, uh, you know, white liberals who think themselves above less fortunate whites, and you you see yeah. all you see all of this in uh, most of the the mainstream media stuff outside of critical readings. Uh, basically, makes it about you know a good man gone wrong, and it's never he was always awful. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. I mean, like, uh, yeah, exactly. Like the 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 sort of like discourse he has about like what he's owed from his like previous business partners or whatever. Like, the idea that he he's some sort of genius that needs to be compensated at all given points for his genius. Like, it, it he's not a good person. Like, there's no point in the thing where he's he's like. Well, let me put it this way, because um, I agree with you about that, and I think like the question for me. I'm not a I'm not a creative I'm not a creator in in the way that you are or the way that uh, Gilligan is or whatever um, more of a critic but like the question I would have if I was a creator would be like okay I'm really I really want to make this um, character a, a character who uh, is like a, a he's a problem like he he's not a good person he's he's a problem. Um, and I want to make sure that people know that he's a problem. Like, how do I, how do I do it? Like, how do I get my intention out there? Like, how do you create characters that you're like, okay, these are not good people. And you know, they can be complicated uh, or whatever. It's fine. I think. How do you make them I, bad? I guess is the well, question. The problem is, the problem, the problem is, uh, per permissibility, what people view as acceptable for an anti-hero type. Then you got to think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, I'm making this now. Uh, what milestones am I going to hit where I say I've made my mark on this? I've I've diverged from the pack. I've diverged from different takes. And if you're working on something original, you think what has come before, what's been made before. What what's my message? What am I showing someone that they haven't seen? And when you think of when you think of what people will actually like and not like. You can be surprised whole cloth. Uh, Tom, for example, uh, Remy hates the character Tom and the pervert so much. Uh, mm. And that's, you know, due to how whatever informs her hatred of that character. It could be any number of things. And then some people love Tom because they were like, that guy's so fucking stupid that it's incredibly believable that there's a guy who would say shit like that. And I've probably met someone like that with other things people have told me. Right. I think when we, when we describe uh, badness, the, the tendency is to go towards our own points of reference and our moralist premises when we make our case for anything. Uh, so for me, Defining something as bad, I, I would think of all of the ways in which someone becomes close to you and you 
they are a constant presence and you love them and there is affection and that's used against you and there's there's mm. there's a a power differential but not only that it's an emotional it's like emotional capital or or social capital as it relates to the relationship uh it's it's especially a a pretty important thing to talk about now when we see people using disproportionate power in in situations to take advantage of people to me i think i think the the best people are the most social the best awful people are the people that everyone universally loves the people the people that mm. are above it when they're down in it with you <laughs> right 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 i that 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 to me is so how, how it manifests you... it it doesn't manifest as as hitler hammering his fist on the podium <laughs> and waving his arm it, it's, it's not, not downfall. downfall it's it's you know the sensible person that's been with you through ups and downs that fucking turns on you or or takes advantage or is so accepted that everything terrible they're doing is something everyone agrees with and you are the the person who feels or or not you the 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 either hero or narrative focus uh is you know they they feel as if they're alienated where no one else sees it mm-hmm. i think that's more interesting to me than someone who has done wrong and we you know go through a typical cycle of revenge yeah i mean so how do you it hurts more when it's family Okay. <laughs> that's, that's very Tony Soprano of you to say. Um, what, so, I mean, how do you, uh, to, to kind of bring it back to video games, I think we're, we're actually making a pretty interesting, uh, interesting circle. I should have more of my guests get high. Um, yeah, no, uh, good, uh, good thought patterns. I like it. That's, that's my, that's, that's my secret. <laughs> that's I'm my all, secret. I'm, Kat. Always, I'm always that, high. That's, I'm always high. <laughs> the, um, yeah, Odyssey is about mainly fighting people in your family. Oh wow! Yeah. Huh. Yeah, all of your all of your major adversaries are people in your life who are there for important moments, who have, who have traumatized you, <laughs> and and the people you keep around you that have traumatized you, that you can reconcile the trauma with. Uh, you know, because not everyone has a a perfect family life, right? Uh, so people can really endear themselves to that concept, or would love to see some messy shit happen. <laughs> uh, and I think I think that's the interesting part of that game, where all of your all of the major stuff you you encounter seems to at some point or another involve a family member. Or someone who has fucked you up badly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess like so. How do you play? How do you play morality in games like that? Like, obviously, the choices you make are morality-based choices, at least in terms of like the classical understanding of these choices. Uh, you know, like the the fable, 
style of gameplay is always like, well, you know, the choices you make reflect your personality and your 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 morals and your, you know, whatever. Um, whether or not they do or don't, I think is is another conversation and maybe this conversation. But I think that's that's at least the the hope of the designers um, that on some level you are making moral choices or choices that reflect your morals. So how do you? Like, how do you handle, uh, like, a, a, a seriously complex understanding of evil as, like, as, like, betrayal, as, a, as, a, as like, an idea of, um, I don't know, closeness? Like, how do you play games then? Like, how do you, how do you sort of, do you, do you roleplay the characters? Do you just kind of go along with the plot as you think it should be written? Uh, um, how do you, how do you handle For it? me, for me, I, I'll do a few. I'll do a few, and that will... That will be the sort of nice emergent part of a multi-tiered, multi-choice story. Uh, the least interesting are the ones where you're a bad guy. The most interesting are where maybe you go awry. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the old mantra of you, you can tell who someone is based on who they factioned up with in New Vegas. I mean... Right, yeah. <laughs> like, if, if you know Absolutely someone true. who's seriously into the legion in like a non-ironic way or report them to the police or yeah you report well, them the, to the well they probably are yeah they're probably the police, they so. they definitely you know there there is there is more than 20 people who work at ice who have probably played as as members of the legion if not upwards yeah, from right, that number course. uh but for me, I think when I when I go through it, I try to feel it out and make choices based on I don't know uh, what I think will be entertaining for me, like story wise. Mm. But part of me also likes to do the good guy run to see how fucking whack the morality may be. If you look at Mass Effect, that's a great one. Because sometimes the renegade decisions are really the Paragon decisions. Where it's like, yes. no, that guy oh, deserves to die. That's objective fact. If you let that person live, you're you're kind of an asshole. It goes beyond Superman <laughs> morality. You're just a bad person. Uh, but with Odyssey, with Odyssey, I think I think we're gonna see way more weird explorations of family and media. Because uh, I think it's it's weird. It, I'm I'm forming I'm having a lot of pattern recognition that I think of when I think of uh, of torture porn relative to the Bush mm-hmm. era, uh, like rough sex and simulated rape on porn sites were big around that time, and now. I see mm. in media now extreme <laughs> examples of media, uh, but are so extreme that it's not like the norm, but it's kind of going that way. Is really fucked up explorations of family. Family is adversary. Right, yes. We look at heredit, her, hereditary. Like that. Have you seen hereditary? I haven't, but I keep meaning to. I haven't seen a lot of movies recently. That, the, the same. The, the same basic broad brushstrokes that I've been talking about family sometimes being a, a object of horror are are super prominent in that movie. Like it, <laughs> you, you will be confused about what kind of movie it's going to be uh, at a certain point. <laughs> but, but 
we we have these explorations of stuff and I see it in porn now. Like if I were to say go in on Pornhub Incognito or whatever, it's still gonna show a lot of simulated incest stuff. People people people's idea of family is changing and what the traditional mm. family unit is. And so people seem to explore what they think the other side is in incredibly reactionary and weird ways and also base a lot of their decision-making about what they think their ideal family is. And a lot of attitudes are getting really regressive and fucking weird. And so it's not unusual that this really weird and niche kink is becoming very mainstream to a really gross extent. Uh, and we <laughs> see this, we see this constantly. And I think, I think Assassin's Creed is interesting in the, in the sense that there's a lot of really shitty science involved with a lot of Assassin's Creed stuff, but, uh, a constant thread is is one of of family and broader family. The more distant you become from your nuclear family and how you form connections with people and how those shared experiences and shared cultural experiences uh, form societies, ways of thinking, philosophy, and... So when the family gets smaller, more isolation you feel. And there's so much loneliness right now in the world. Like, the smaller the family yeah. gets, the more tight-knit, the more, like, closed the pool is. You know, you get, you, get, you get into really fucking weird and dark territory. And that's the... Well, that's, I mean, that's the... That's what, um... That's what Levi Strauss, uh, you know, the, the the incest taboo is, uh, well, at least the the sort of like theory of Levi, like the structuralist anthropolo anthropological theory, which probably doesn't have a lot of truck in real life. But uh, you know, Levi Strauss said uh, that the incest taboo is basically like the reason incest is a taboo is because it's the if you just have sex with your family, you never go outside, like you never actually interact with the world. And so, if in fact there was no taboo against incest, then society would not really work couldn't operate in the in, in a in a way that is like functional in the way we understand now so it's why it's one of the most primal taboos yeah and it and it's weird i think as we come out of uh the isolationism of america i think however this country exists in the next 10 or 20 years because the conventional wisdom mm -hmm. is that's going to change uh the thing is, how, what are we mm -hmm. going to think about distance and love? And we're thinking about distance and love right now. And uh, when we think about distance and love and love being healthier, the more distant you get from the, the family unit uh, and the, the life you make for yourself and the connections you make with people, uh, there is a potential to come out of this better and have a better understanding of uh, where we are collectively and why when we have all of these these issues like how people feel about white nationalism and neo-Nazi shit uh, 
the anxiety that those people cling to and use as a sort of engagement vector. Uh, that shit is that mm-hmm. shit was always there and will continue to be there. We we have to think of healthy ways to externalize those anxieties. And I think one of the best ways to is to make art or to make stuff that you feel reflects your feelings on that. And if not, like make it manifest into taking an active part in the world Mm. outside your house. Uh, Even, even as difficult as it is now society, we're seeing it right now in the West where we're seeing this union boom because people are seeing the power they have in one another and, you know, not necessarily just their family unit, but, you know, becoming more distant from that and then connecting with others and then things becoming wider and acknowledging diff- difference so that a healthy amount of distance mm. is maintained. It's, it's weird, but like finding those, those bounds now is incredibly important, especially as connected as we are yeah, now. I agree. I, I think it's actually a really, it's a very salient point, and I, I one that I don't want to, I don't want to lose. So, like, I want to ask two quick questions that that relate from that, and then we can kind of name anything you think we might have missed, and we can we can uh, call it a night. I think. Um, my okay. So two questions. Uh, first question: uh, Do do you think that um, so for you for art? Um, and for, for sort of like good storytelling or hopeful storytelling, however you want to imagine it, um, is redemption part of that? Uh, it's not mutually exclusive to it. It can be, it could be good if you tell a hopeful narrative, uh, but you can also tell an interesting story where at least the viewer is aware of the passage of events there's a level of self-awareness to it and you're not, I mean, you can, you can't put out a nihilist, uh, you can't put out a nihilist work where it's simply about your rage and the sense of hopelessness of it. But, uh, I think it's more interesting when it, when the motivations, you know, come from you from a place of, uh, understanding your your the distance you want from society uh mm. get, give you a good example of decent nihilist art where it's yeah. still aware of itself and its place but you know it comes from a place where it's alienation from something in that you were there once and you had things you wanted and you had hopes you had dreams or whatever and i think it's death grips Easily. Love Death mm. Grips. Love it. Because nice. a lot of it's about alienation and, uh, you know, who you are, who you aren't, what's expected of you. And I I love exploration of that and explore, exploring how we dehumanize one another and how it's done casually. Like, I think that part of nihilism is fucking interesting to look at because... I don't feel I'm a nihilist. Like I definitely want to hear what that person has to say about 
what's going on around them because I am, you know, in no way immune to to alienation like anyone else. It, sure. It, it 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 drives a lot of us to seek different experiences. Um, like, well, I mean, I, I actually I find your I should say I find your like explanation of the the like the the boom in incest porn um something I, I like it, the explanation that it is a, a symptom of not of uh, alienation is is a really good one <laughs> I've never really thought about it that well, way well well um, the, the the bad thing is like again it's also another part of like the capitalist system where there's there there is this sort of encouraging this really small group of people to dictate what is and is not normal, what is good and what is bad, how far we can push the earth. And you find out about these individual people and how this level of power and this level of closed interconnectivity and fucking uh, this shell, this bubble they live in and how awful and ugly these people were and me too me too is hilarious in the sense that weinstein is probably the most mild of all of these people Mm. like imagine having like uh, like multiple billions like hundreds of billions and what happens when people stop saying no to you and you're only yeah. hanging around people that know that feeling? Yeah, no, it, yeah. no, the, the, the idea that that's, that is, that is normal. And that's what our taboos gravitate towards. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and actually that leads me to my next question really nicely. Uh, this is this 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 might be this is a big question. So you can you can plead the fifth um, in terms of not wanting to uh, commit to an answer. But uh, so you pointed. I I hadn't thought about how I hadn't thought about the the kind of like reflection that porn provides. Basically, that um, uh, that like it's a um, that it basically is a is a I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, like a kind of like a uh, through a mirror darkly uh, of society where you say, okay, well, like in the Bush years, the forcible uh, like rough sex and, and simulated rape and uh, torture and stuff obviously lines up with sort of like the, the early war on terror, Abu Ghraib, um, 9-11, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that obviously in, in some ways. Media uh, also always escalates. The, it's, n- it's never back. Yeah. Oh, it's never yes. back. Yeah, I, that's that's one hundred percent true. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I have a I have a question. Uh, in in your uh, personal opinion, what do you think the the next uh, boom in in porn will be? Uh, and bonus points uh, for how it reflect how it might reflect uh, our next our like uh, coming society. Uh, hmm. Well, I can already see it permeating now. Uh, you're going to see amateur people form shit closer to co-ops and people mm-hmm. already do loose affiliate network stuff with porn promotion, uh, via social media. 
they're going to have to get smarter about it because I don't know if FOSTA-SESTA is going to be repealed. And if so, uh, I don't know where or how it will show up because at some point, you know, censorship gets levied this way or that way. You see it. People who write about clinical sex writing are getting blacklisted from shit. Uh, so when wow. we when we see this, it's gonna it's gonna look it's gonna look like a group of people who make a bunch of many vids accounts or uh, fucking sexed panther or this or that. They're going to start seeing the overhead costs versus what they put into their sites, and it's going to become much more decentralized. These people are probably going to have to work with credit unions and stuff to work out payment process or shit. But I think it's going to it's huh. going to show up a lot more with that in a decentralized way. And you're going to see a lot of these people embrace cryptocurrency a lot harder. Uh, and I think that's how it's going to play out. The actual content of it, uh, I think people... People are going to be doing a lot crazier anal insertions uh, just because, like, the wilder stuff I've seen is people getting multiple eggs laid inside them. So if you escalate upward from <laughs> yeah, that sure, point, the, the... you know, people are going to be wearing pretty crazy prostheses. We're going to we're going to be seeing some some uncanny valley furry shit. We're going to see we're going to see people get knotted by real knots. <laughs> I'm very sorry for lowering the tone of your podcast, <laughs> but not real knots. I want no, I mean, I I to clarify. No bestiality. God God willing, that does not happen. Although, I mean, that is that is, that that is, is, a, right? that is a dark yeah, future. But, I mean, you're going to see furry shit get a lot more detailed. Uh, and it, it's going to be for the better. A lot of it's going to be super gross and super wet and moist and smelly. Like, But at the same mm -hmm. time... Uh, I think, I think it's part of the DIY nature of stuff spiraling out of Tumblr and, uh, a good part of it is people, uh, also, you know, when they're put upon sometimes it shows them the value of their voice and not shutting the fuck up and being, you know, hmm. gross and step with, uh, you know, how they feel. And I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing. I think when it is a pure expression, porn at its best can be, there is no Santa Claus in the room. We don't have to, we, we don't have to pretend things aren't as they are. And there's a lot of good stuff that are being put out by amateur people who aren't working for some MAGA chud, mm -hmm. you know. Is that is 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 MAGA like a is, is the porn industry? Porn? Oh oh yeah okay. oh oh god. There's oh I could do a whole separate thing about that, but you don't have enough time. Maybe we should maybe we should do another episode on that. That's interesting. You want if you want to do it, uh, I'm I'm totally game for it. I I could. It, it is the one conversation people have wanted to have with me for a while that I'm not opposed to. But <laughs> I think I think a problem with. Uh, I think some some types of discussion around sex work and leftism we're kind of having a reckoning with it now is yeah uh, well done. Uh, the 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 rescue industry slash abolition people that have solid arguments and uh, the sometimes more I don't know we there there there's Christian 
and more not secular can't think of the right word some more literal interpretations of the bible where there are people who are leftist but are also pro-life so you know sex work in that greater conversation is always muddled right yeah definitely yeah huh. yeah it would totally be game but yeah uh i think i think i think uh exploring the erotic is going to exist even if sex work ne- doesn't necessarily exist in the way we used to know it uh should a system be in place that isn't the capitalism we we know and love yeah huh well i like it um i think that sounds perfect and and plausible and uh yeah well uh michelle do you think there's anything we didn't get to we we took a long way through, but I'm, I'm very happy with where we came. We talked about Assassin's Creed in really broad brushstroke terms, but I'm okay with it because weirdly everything I've talked about manifests in some weird way in that game. Like weird <laughs> family shit uh, is great and weird horny as it relates to the main characters is great. But yeah, no, I uh, I don't know. I think I've talked about cool stuff. We we didn't talk about. No, no. Actually, I I think I think I said everything that was on on my line this week. Oh, beautiful. Oh, well, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, do it, do it. No, no. I'll I'll talk about it uh, at a different time. But uh, everyone needs to see the Matrix again after reading that fucking awful BBC uh, article. That that is how I feel. I don't. Which I, article is this? All right, so there's this this fellow on the BBC uh-huh. a website where he he is talking about the Matrix sort of being a bro artifact of its time, and I think oh. I think with twenty twenty years of hindsight, and now uh, you know the Wachowski siblings having a few movies with them post transition out of the way, like. 20, 20 year, and if you watch Bound, their film before it, it's even gayer than The Matrix. But like, really, the shit. It, oh, it's a it's a lesbian thriller, uh, where Jennifer Tilly and Gina Gershon uh, plot to kill Joey Pants and steal his mm. money and have gay sex, and they hang out in a really hilarious, almost Lynchian leather bar. Uh, yeah. Classic gay movie, Bound. Hmm. Uh, it's it's not it's not great. Sounds, it's not great by any means, but you, it sounds like a good like bad thriller. It's a it's a good bad thriller, and it's impossible to watch Bound with, with while you know reading the Wachowskis' dead names and not at least think that gay little hands had been brushed all over the surface of this film, and you know now that now that a lot of stuff has been explored in their work. And, you know, some people have told me there have been missteps and I, I don't doubt it. I think I'm not going to engage in an apology game for someone. I respect the work they've done. I'll say uh, that said, I think the matrix trilogy is absolutely worth looking at with a trans lens now. And if you watch any of the behind the scenes shit, it seems like something everyone on the cast is tiptoeing around because everyone talks mm. about their individual interpretation, but everyone is super coy about 
the Wachowski's, the Wachowski's. interpretation. <laughs> For whatever reason, we may never know. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, I uh, let let every let that be a, a lesson and a call to action for everyone. Go listen, go watch the Matrix. Yeah, again. go watch all of them, and it's and that that series is so weird because it almost seems like these people don't talk in dialogue, but in many declarative sentences. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's kind of like it's kind of like those old. Um, those whole like Socratic seminars, uh, or like not the oh, actual. Oh, Socratic, my God. There's uh, a whole scene in The Matrix Reloaded where the counselor of the city, not not Cornell West, who is just Cornell West in this Zion, right. it is uh, a man who is speaking to, to Neo solely in Socratic method. And I only got that years <laughs> later after reading philosophy, where this motherfucker is just asking Neo questions the whole time. Well, what does it mean to be real? You fucking know what it means to be real. You just want to ask him. And everyone, everyone is always asking Neil questions. Uh, The character is defined by a a lot of his lack of answers and how his answering is like a sort of Goku answer. He has to fight. (laughs) (laughs) The 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 um the classic thing my my friend always laughs about in Dragon Ball Z where. uh, Goku has to go to a parent-teacher conference for Gohan uh, with with Chi Chi, and uh, and they ask him what his hobbies are, and he says, "Well, fighting stronger enemies, of course." It's like, yeah, it's a per- I, perfect. I, I do perfect hobby. I I fish. I'm a fisherman. That's pretty fucked up, Goku. But okay, <laughs> you know what? Whatever works Never, for you. It's not like we're surrounded um, by children or anything, man. It's it's totally fine. <laughs> well, I mean. You know those kids. Those kids all all yeah, have seen some shit. True. Uh, well, Michelle, people can follow you at Emperor's Rights IRL IRL at Twitter.com. Um, and they should read the pervert, uh, which is you have a link for where you can buy it. It's uh, I forget the name of the the website. Um, it is at oh now I have to look like indie indie press or oh hold on it's oh, indie bound. It's indie bound. Indie bound indie you can bound. buy it at any major retailer. Uh, some people get into morals like Amazon, this or that. There's no ethical con- consumption. That if you want to help a smaller place, I suggest you do it if it makes you feel better. But at the end of the day, we're all at mercy of at the same at, at the same thing. Uh, <laughs> it's too true. But yeah, uh, that said. Yeah, you can buy it there. Uh, Remy should still have the link for the bronze. Uh, the bronze is a zine that's a partial sequel slash not sequel. And it's probably going to be the last thing Remy and I ever work on together. Uh, and that said, yeah, I'm, I got a bunch of stuff basically cooking in the oven. I've got an essay series I'm in the middle of. And I got a, a nice. book with someone I've been working on. So you, you'll be seeing more from me. Hopefully the award season doesn't suck ass. And I, uh, yeah, I got a lot going on this year. We're rooting for you. Appreciate it. Of course. Uh, well, yeah, come on anytime. Come on to talk about the Matrix. Come on to talk about uh, the, the extremely reactionary porn environment. Um, I'm here for all of it. Uh, and everyone follow Michelle. And uh, thanks for coming on. This is great. Yeah, I appreciate it. Cool. We'll talk to you soon.